and welcome to Financial Residency Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. For several years, my husband and I have been talking about buying a second home. Every time we go on vacation, we get to be by the ocean and I always dream about having that place overlooking the beach, but it's just never been quite the right time. We were raising kids and then trying to put them through college, now saving for retirement. When we thought maybe it was about time, housing prices started to soar and now interest rates are going up. So it's just never been the right time. But Doug and I were talking the other day about it again, and he was telling me about some ways that physicians can buy second homes, and I thought maybe some of you might be in the same boat that we are. So I invited Doug to come back on the show and talk to us about second homes. Hi, Doug. Welcome back. Hey, babe. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Sorry, if you guys didn't know, Doug's my husband. He's also the host of the Mortgage Minute. So Doug, can you just kind of start off by telling us about different options that are available to physicians to buy second homes? Well, I think as we were talking earlier, there's different criteria when doctors reach out to me that, you know, ask about second homes, whether it be buying a place for their kid for college, asking if that can be a second home. And we could just kind of address these one by one, buying a place for mom, you know, to take care of them as they age buying across the country if they're moving and then potentially keeping their other house or buying before they actually start the job or they couldn't actually move in within 60 days. So there's a lot of reasons that people ask me about second homes. Some of them qualify as second homes. Some of them actually qualify better than they're expecting. And then some of them just don't qualify at all. So I guess we could start with buying a I mean, this one seems to come up a lot, buying a place for my kid going to college. And the answer to that one is just no. That's an investment property. It doesn't qualify. And unfortunately, and this kind of plays into second homes as well, Fannie and Freddie back in January made adjustments to change the dynamics of their portfolio that adds what I call loan level price adjustments to mortgages. And this only applies to loans below the jumbo threshold, which is 647,200 for most of the country. And it just got ugly. And that started 1st of April. And by ugly, just want to give you an example. If you ask me today for a $600,000 second home, the rate would be 10% down, would have PMI. And assuming fantastic credit, you're looking at $120 a month in PMI. And then the rate would be 6.375 after you pay two points. As opposed to a jumbo loan, which is over 647,200, the drawback is you have to put 15% down. And this is going to vary from bank to bank. But with the BMO where I work, 15% down, the rate on that one is 4.625, no points. But just to put in perspective, to make it a fair comparison, take the same two points, the conforming Fannie loan required, that would buy your rate down to 4.125. So you're comparing jumbo to conforming, it's 4.125 to 6.375 with PMI. So I just wanted to put this in perspective because I call it no man's land if you're out shopping for a second home. I mean, obviously you need to buy in the price point you're comfortable at, but a $770,000 house, for instance, 15% down at four and eighth percent interest, the principal and interest is $3,170. So 
Just keep that number in mind for a second. 3170 is the payment for a 770 purchase price, which is around a 654 loan amount. That keeps you in the jumbo threshold. Compare that to a $600,000 house that you have to put 10% down on, $540,000 loan. So over $100,000 less you're borrowing. Actually, $114,000 less in my example. The principal and interest on that loan is $33,68. $200 more to buy borrow $114,000 less, and then insult to injury, tack in another $120 a month in PMI. So there's, you know, short of being a cash buyer, if you're going to finance a second home, you really either want to stay down well below that threshold or just move on up to something more expensive because you'll actually have lower payments, you know, staying with a jumbo loan. So, so Having explained that a little bit, going back to the first example, I have a lot of physicians that, you know, they're to that point where they're asking about a place for their kid to go to college. They need a place to rent. Can't do it. It's a investment property with those loan level price adjustments that kicked in. You're really not going to get anything even remotely palatable for a rate without doing 25% down. And you do avoid PMI by doing that. But at that point, you're still in the sixes. And, you know, that's just really all the options you have. It just doesn't qualify as a second home. But what I find funny is probably in the last couple of years, I've had half a dozen at least, if not more, doctors calling me asking for an investment loan. They want to move mom and dad closer to them so they can help take care of them. And if you meet the criteria for this, then you can, you know, they move them within a commutable distance to where there's something that you could actually, you know, in theory, go help take care of them. You can buy that with 5% down owner occupied rates. And, you know, it's still going to have PMI with 5% down, but then you're talking, you know, something again, if you're Fannie Freddie, that's going to still be in the 6% range, but no two points. And, you know, the PMI is going to be based on an owner occupied residence rather than investment property. So significantly better option. At what point would you get rid of PMI on that house, you know, that we're talking about for parents? You have to have 20% down to get rid of PMI? You have to actually pay it down to 20%. So you either have to get it reappraised or refinance it or actually pay the other 15% down. So the example of buying a house for your parents for 500,000 and you borrow 475 not until you've actually paid the principal down to 400 is it going to qualify to ask for the PMI to be dropped off or pay it on down to 78% and then it's just mandatory it be dropped. Okay. I know my dream is to have a house on the ocean and the beach and all those kind of wonderful things. But what if someone wanted to buy a lake house, you know, 30 minutes or an hour away from their home? Would that qualify as a second home and only require, what was it, 10% down at a jumbo 10% rate? for, no, it's 15% down for a jumbo. So okay. 10% down for Fannie Freddie with the, you know, less appealing terms, 15% down as a jumbo. And with 15% down, you have to keep your loan amount above 647200 to avoid Fannie Freddie's loan level pricing adjustments. And then no PMI either. That's another perk these portfolio jumbo loans, even with 15% down, do not have PMI and they have you know, basically owner-occupied rates. 
So, you know, fortunately in your circumstance, so you're probably not buying anything on the ocean or a nice lakefront house without spending $770 anyway. So, you know, something else that comes up a lot with people moving across the country for jobs is, hey, I want to move from Ohio to Minnesota and I've got my job in Ohio and I go ahead and buy a place in Minnesota and can I use the physician loan to purchase this and then move into it four or five months from now after I finish out my contract? And the answer is yes, but not with a physician loan. So if you're going to move to a new primary residence, the expectation by both the lender and your insurance company is that you're going to occupy it within 60 days. So yes, you could buy something like that, qualify with your current income as a second home, but then you're looking at 15% down. Whereas if you were going to move and the job started within 90 days and you were going to occupy that property within 60 days, then you could get a physician loan. Even if you've already got a physician loan, you could move away from Ohio to Minnesota, buy a new house using a physician loan. But the key is you have to be ready to move into it within 60 days of closing. And you also would have to qualify with uh, both mortgage payments, meaning your new job in this circumstance in Minnesota would have to qualify you for the payment on the new home plus the house you're leaving behind if you're not going to sell it. And I think I missed something there in translation. When did it qualify for a physician loan and when did it not qualify for a physician loan? What was the criteria there? So a lot of people ask and they want to move, they want to buy a place ahead of their move. And this is especially true of residents getting ready to start their attending job, but they want to do it outside of a 60 day window. And you have to owner occupy a primary residence within 60 days or the bank's going to call it investment or a second home. And so will your insurance. So you also cannot use a Ohio job income to buy an out-of-state property as a primary residence because clearly if you're moving to Minnesota, then your job in Ohio is going to end because it wouldn't be a primary residence if you were going to be living across the country. So has to make sense, has to be commutable, and it has to be something that you're going to do within 60 days. Okay. And I think I got you sidetracked on my last question. What if you wanted to buy a lake house that's only 30 minutes away? Would that qualify as a second home or does it have to be a certain distance away from your primary home? So there's no set rule of distance. It just has to make sense to an underwriter. And by that, can't have a $500,000 house, you know, that you're then looking at a house 30 minutes away and you're going to buy $140,000 because that screams to an underwriter, you're buying an investment property and they're not going to let you use the, you know, appealing terms of a second home loan to buy a investment property that's close like that. But if you're buying something that's on a lake or on a beach, you know, near something with attraction or even something close to work. So maybe you live in downtown Chicago or maybe you live in the suburbs of Chicago, I should say, and you work downtown Chicago and it's, you know, a grueling commute. If you wanted to buy a little condo close to your job, that could qualify as a second home, even though it's something cheap, but you couldn't buy something, you know, right down the street unless it's obvious that you're moving. So it has to pass the litmus test with the underwriter that they're not really buying an investment property. 
Okay. So that doesn't mean it can't be 30 minutes away or, you know, also doesn't mean it has to be on the water. I mean, especially if you are buying something across country, very much qualifies as a second home. If you're buying ahead of time and you plan on moving and starting a new job there, but you have to be careful with that too, because if you don't have the new job in place, then there's going to be a question of how are you going to pay for this second home? If your current job, you know, is ending, you know, where's your income going to come from? What about for someone who works locums and maybe they don't necessarily live right by the location where they're doing locums? Would they be able to buy, I think I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but would they be able to use the physician loan to move to the city where they want to live, even though their job is in a completely different location? Depends on their locums contract. You know, if they've got something that, you know, looks like they're going to have continued income and probably need that continued income to make sense again. So if they're, take the example of, you know, Ohio's where their locums and they want to move to Minnesota in that circumstance, if they don't have a future contract of locums work in Minnesota, probably not because it doesn't make sense to an underwriter that you're not going to be able to occupy it within 60 days. Okay. Sorry, I know that was completely off topic, but it got me thinking about a lot of our listeners that do low. Should I ever be able to convince you to buy me this second house on the beach? And we only use it, you know, whatever, three months a year. Would we be able to rent that out on Airbnb or VRBO when we're not there? So a second home expects you to have access to your house. So at all times, meaning you can't buy a property and then list it Airbnb with a management company because you've given up control of it. But absolutely, you can buy a rental, I mean, not a rental, a second home and then utilize it when you want to. And then if you self-manage it to where you're not giving somebody a 12-month lease to control it to rent the way they want, then yes, you can collect rental income. You can't use that rental income to qualify to pay for it, but you can collect rental income and you know, not be considered fraudulent that you took it out as a second home mortgage. Well, that sounds good. I feel like I'm getting scammed here, folks, that this, this <laughs> podcast was, I think I'm going to be looking for second home soon. <laughs> so if any of you guys would like to rent from us on our new beachfront property, <laughs> are there any new things on the market that might, you know, benefit physicians that, that you're aware of? even outside of the second home, anything you want to talk about today? No, I mean, I, you know, I don't do them anymore, but I certainly have a lot of past clients that reach out, ask about investment properties. They fell under that same back in January, Fannie Freddie basically want to keep their book of business down to 7% of their portfolio as second homes and investment property. So those also took that same hit. And unfortunately they, you know, lumped second homes in and just assumed everybody was buying investment property and calling it a second home. That's why second home pricing got significantly worse because literally in January, before this took place, then a second home was just like my jumbo product, owner-occupied rates with PMI if you were going to do 10% down. And now it's very close to mimicking investment property. So it's just circumstances have changed. Fannie Freddie are not really as, don't have the appetite, I should say, to put that in their portfolio. 
Jumbo lending is different because it's a portfolio loan product. Banks, you know, have different appetites. And that's why you're seeing, you know, my example here, a rate of two and a quarter percent better rate because we're pricing it, you know, as our portfolio instead of what Fannie and Freddie are looking for. So when you say portfolio, did you do you just mean the bank's loaning its own money? They're keeping that loan on their own books and they're not trying to sell it to Fannie or Freddie? That's correct. So a portfolio loan is something the bank makes their own rules on. Hence, the 85% second home doesn't require PMI. And that's something else, actually, that recently we moved our jumbo product to 89.99% loans on non-physician loans at no PMI. So, I mean, obviously, I think the physicians we're talking about here are going to take advantage of the physician loan because it's actually an eighth better rate. But just being able to do a jumbo loan, like if they had family or friends that weren't a physician, can now offer non-physicians a 90% essentially loan with no PMI if it's a jumbo. Wow. Which is attractive when, you again, you're comparing low to mid fours to low to mid sixes. And the sixes have PMI and the fours don't. That is a huge difference. I know you don't typically do them yourself, but when you're talking about investment loans, what, you know, what type of terms do you find on those? It's probably something similar to the second home with a little bit bigger down payment requirement to keep those type of terms. So instead of offering 10% down on the Fannie Freddie type loan, it's 25% down to keep those similar rates. And there's just not even an option to do less than 20% down on the investment. So it's similar terms to the second home. Obviously you're not going to have the PMI because you're going to have to have at least 20 or 25% down. So, you know, much, much different than when I got in the mortgage business in you know, 99 and 2000, you know, anybody could get hundred percent financing on an investment loan with no PMI. So it's a very different market. But as you said, you know, rates have creeped up, you know, we're probably point and a half to even point and three quarters higher than we were in January and prices continue to creep up. But I think as the rates have gone up recently, I don't really think the Fed's going to move them as much as some think, but, you know, time will tell. But I do think that's slowed down the market to where we're not going to see 25 or gosh, markets like Austin saw 35% increases in a 12 month span. I think it's going to slow that down. And, you know, at that point, maybe you will get your vacation home. You know, <laughs> if, if prices settle down and, you know, maybe even pull back, I'm not really in the camp to think they're going to pull back. Personally, I still think we have too much of a supply shortage. So, you know, maybe some of the markets, the coastal markets, you know, probably retain their value. And some of the markets where people exiting that aren't necessarily as appealing, you know, they're probably going to slow down to two, three, four percent. But I actually almost think, you know, not to get into too much rate predicting, but I almost think the Fed's going to have to overshoot here, or possibly already did, just to control inflation. That We'll, we'll look back on a year to see where how accurate I was, but I could easily see next summer, like summer of uh, 2023, rates being a little cheaper than they are right now. Mm -hmm. I think we just went up too much too fast, so we'll see. I think we have a little bit higher to go yet this year, but I think it's 
as good, if not better chance to see lower rates this time next year than higher. Hope so. I hope that's the case. Definitely makes it less affordable for people to get into a home if they're spending quite a bit of their payment on interest. Yeah, they've really, you know, almost priced residents out of the market, you know, a resident salary, if they don't have a spouse or significant other income, I mean, you can't buy anything on a fifty-five, $60,000 income anymore. It's just house prices for starter homes. Most markets, if you're lucky, start at two seventy-five anymore. So, you know, there's always the middle of nowhere houses where you can still find something for 150, but if you do find something like that, you're still competing with 50 people trying to buy that because that's what it takes. So yeah, I feel really bad for residents at this point with the salaries definitely didn't keep up with inflation and then got double hit with the prices escalating the way they did. And then the rates jumping the way they did, you know, a resident today versus somebody three years ago is able to buy half the house almost of what somebody could three years ago. True. Well, thanks for coming back on the show, Doug. And Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> and I'll let the whole audience know if we ever get that beach house. <laughs> I, I think I got scammed here, folks. <laughs> I feel like uh, we're getting ready to go somewhere to look. <laughs> well, thanks to everybody for listening to Grand Rounds. And I hope you'll tune in to Doug's podcast, The Mortgage Minute. And hopefully I'll see you all next week at Grand Rounds. Thanks. <laughs>